this is the first part of my AdWords for e-commerce interview with Jeff Coleman of CPC Strategy. CPC Strategy are a well-respected paid search marketing agency with specialist focus in retail. In this part of the interview, we'll speak in depth about Google Shopping ads or Google PLA ads, product listing ads. We cover pretty much everything retailers need to know about Google Shopping ads today. You're bound to take a lot of notes while listening to this one. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle, and this is the podcast as usual where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online retail marketing experts who help uncover new e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help you, my fellow 2Xers, double growth metrics. It's all about growth here. Today is a special show. It's more like a tutorial, really. It's, a, it's an interview. It's with a company I respect. It's called um, CPC Strategy. Some of you, most of you would have heard about it if you're into online retail. They're a retail-focused paid search management agency with specialist expertise in Google Shopping, traditional paid search, as we all know it, Amazon advertising and sales acceleration and product feed advertising, which really is um, CSE's shopping, comparison shopping engines, really like Nextag and the rest of them. Um, They're respected and market leading agency in the space of retail, which I've said before, and um, paid customer acquisition with clients such as Sears, Clacks, The Shoemakers, which you'd know, and Payless. I've been following the company on social media as well as um, attending their webinars um, for a while now, for for over a year, two years now. And um, I've read some white papers and their guides and their their blogs, and they do know their stuff. I approached them to come on the show, um, given that, you know, you guys um, are all into online retail and would love to grow your businesses. And they agreed to to join me in a three-part series on on paid acquisition, which is just awesome. So this is the first one. And who I have with me today is um, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Coleman. Jeff is Director of Retail Search at CPC Strategy, and he also oversees the, the Structured Data Department and the CPC Training Program. He founded the CPC University, which is an internal training program, which puts all their staff in the cutting edge of um, retail search strategies. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jeff to the show. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Kunle. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, I've said a few things about you. Could you take a minute or two to to tell everybody about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name's Jeff. Like you said, I'm the director of retail search here at CPC Strategy. So my responsibilities there include making sure that we're implementing the proper strategy for all of our clients that come on board. And, you know, every retailer is a bit different. Um, there's best practices, obviously, that we adhere to, but uh, no two retailers are the same. So we need to make sure that we're 
utilizing the right tools and using the right strategy for every retailer. So part of my responsibilities include uh, ensuring that we're doing that. Another big part of my role here, uh, like you touched on with the CPC University, is making sure that all of our account managers are up to speed on uh, what the latest best practices are, what the new tools are. I'm sure your listeners know Google's coming out with new features, it seems like, every month. <laughs> yes, indeed. So it's, uh, it can be a challenge to stay on top of all those new features, but um, it's something that you have to do if you want to stay on the cutting edge. And so that's what uh, part of my responsibility here is making sure that everyone is, is up to speed on what's going on and um, knows how to use those things for their clients. Fantastic, fantastic. I see you look more like a, a filter right at, right in front, <laughs> getting everything in, knowing yeah. what's more relevant and bringing it in and, and sort of, you know, making sure it's diffused right through the, exactly. uh, the organization. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, so today we're, we're going to be talking about um, AdWords for e-commerce. It's quite a wide subject. Um, I've spoken to, to guests on this show that have significantly grown their business through AdWords to a significant level um, through AdWords and paid search only initially. And then they try to figure out their business from there. <laughs> and, um, and then there's more traction. So um, it's quite an important subject. A lot of people say, I, I wouldn't really like to buy traffic, but you know, the reality is it works. So let's start off with a few questions. Um, the first question I have is um, Google AdWords, as far as I know, my, my, my knowledge, um, offers five advertising options at the moment. What areas should um, retailers, you know, put 80% of, of their time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if we're speaking specifically about retail, Google Shopping is going to be the, the biggest and most important service out there. The traditional text ad market is better known. And oftentimes we'll see, we'll see retailers that have really well-established text ad campaigns and that, that they've been running for years, maybe even a decade or more. Program's been out a long time and that, you know, by no means should that be ignored. But if you're running a retail store, Google Shopping should be where you spend most of your time. It's going to have higher conversion rates than text ads or really any of the other uh, programs. It's going to see uh, stronger traffic with what we call retail intent, meaning a customer that actually has the intent to purchase something as opposed to someone who's just browsing around looking for more information. And the tools that they give you to manage product data and product uh, information are, are pretty robust. And so if you're a retailer that's starting out or even if you're a retailer that has a pretty you know robust AdWords account and you're just trying to figure out where should I go that I'm going to have the most impact, Google Shopping is where you should go. And um, I know that we're going to get into a little bit more detail on, on how to do that in different areas of, of Google, but PLAs and Google Shopping are where you should be spending most of your time. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so hypothetically speaking, as a retailer, I have you know a bit of um, seed seed funding or seed capital. Mm-hmm. I don't care where I raised it from. Hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand pounds. How much should I for the first year of operations? I have that all set aside. Where should I put my hundred thousand? How should I break down that hundred thousand dollars or pounds? Yeah, that's a that's a common uh, it's a common question like what's the percentage um, and it's I, I don't want to give too much of a wishy-washy answer part of it is that it, it depends a bit on what type of product you're selling Google shopping can be great at capturing demand that exists it can be a little bit difficult to build demand Google shopping campaigns so if you're selling you know kind of generic items or branded items where there's already you know a pretty fair market and a well-established market 
Mm-hmm. I would say as much as two thirds to three quarters of that budget over the year should go into Google Shopping purely because you have the ability to spend that much and the conversion rates are going to be stronger. If you're trying to introduce a new product to market where the demand might not already exist, Google Shopping is going to give you a great opportunity to capture the demand that builds over time, but it can be a bit more difficult to, like I said, build demand for a new product that you're introducing to market. And so that percentage would be shifted more towards maybe more traditional text ads, even display campaigns that are brand awareness campaigns and product awareness campaigns that are going to convert at a lower rate. And you need to kind of basically a lot for the fact that um, this is a marketing cost. But in terms of demand generation, that's going to be where you need to start. And over time, you can shift that budget more into Google Shopping to capture that demand. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I guess for commoditized um well, retailers that, that sell a lot of commoditized products, um, mm. you know, they, they can tap into peer into Google Shopping. Sorry, absolutely. And um, if you're you're trying to create the next, say, Grace Box or um, Conscious Box or you know, subscription commerce where you're trying to educate or you know, trying to to, to generate the demand, um, you might have to look at other um, alternatives um, with other formats of um, of Google AdWords. You probably need PR to to, to generate that demand. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. There's, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can you can go about that. AdWords is, is not the only one. But, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's good as Right. There's been a lot of, especially in the SEO world, um, a, a lot of um, you know um, people have not been too happy with with Google, with paid search, you know, taking so much space, uh, so much real estate, and you know, on, on, on search results, especially for com- commercially or retail intent um, searches. What kind of click through rates um, are you seeing? Um, for text ads above the fold so above the fold basically means just above the organic for for mm-hmm. you listeners out there and uh, as compared to to pla ads um sometimes product listing ads i, I believe would could be above the fold and sometimes they're put to the side so- yeah they're usually they're usually uh above the fold for the product listing ads um okay. sometimes they can drop below if the ad box is long enough but the click-through rates are typically higher for product listing ads. I would say ballpark it maybe around maybe around one and a half to two times as high. And that might be, you know, there's a lot of variability there. And so if you're running both and you're not seeing click-through rates as, as high as that, maybe they're only, you know, a small percentage higher. You know, that's not abnormal. But the main thing that we see is that click-through rates, not just click-through rates, but also conversion rates tend to be quite a bit stronger for retail on on POAs. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, what about mobile versus um, desktop? Does does it change? Um, you know, when when devices or when mobile is introduced, or are they relatively um, the same result? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. It, absolutely not. No. It's it's very very different. Um, and actually, one of the biggest mistakes that we see retailers make is that they'll have similar bids, sometimes even higher bids on mobile than they do on uh, desktop. And part of the reason is that Google tries to tell you to, to increase your bids on mobile. Um, and we have to tell our clients not to do that. Um, and we, we rarely do that. Mm-hmm. But the conversion rates are typically much lower on mobile. And that goes even if you have a responsive site or a mobile-optimized site. Mm-hmm. Usually the conversion rates are still lower. And part of, you know, it's you can come up with all sorts of theories why, but part of the reason why is that 
it's just more difficult to buy something on your phone when you got to input your credit card information, input your shipping address and things like that. So the process is usually more difficult, even if you have a mobile optimized site. So we usually advise our clients and when we're managing them on behalf of our clients, we'll set mobile bids quite a bit lower than, um, than the desktop bids. Interesting. We're going to talk about this new buy button um, further down. <laughs> you know, like has you know that that's that seems to be game changing. And um, yeah, okay. In, in regards to, are there any data backed benefits of having page one organic SEO ranking as well as an AdWords presence, be it PLA or you know a text ad? Does CTR actually improve or does, does the organic presence actually eat up their, their AdWords um, CTR or click-through rates? Sorry for, for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it's important to, to lay out the definition. You know, and this is, this is a tough one because ranking, ranking first organically is, you know, the holy grail for a lot of retailers. And there are tons of SEO companies that will try and work on that. We typically don't see that it will hurt your AdWords presence. Usually, if anything... It'll improve the overall visibility to your site. Now, you know, we're not an SEO agency. You know, we typically just manage the AdWords text ads. Um, and so if there was any sort of cannibalization, it might, you know, kind of hurt our performance and hurt our ability to buy traffic. But to be honest, we, we typically don't see that. If anything, if you have the ability to, even for really, really specific searches that might not be getting a lot of volume, if, if you have the ability to rank well, that's always going to help. And so, you know, i it's uh, there's a lot of strategies that uh, you can use to try and rank well organically, but don't ignore those efforts. I mean, those, mm. those definitely help because oftentimes the factors that Google was looking at to determine if you should rank well organically are similar factors that they're looking at to determine how well you should rank in the text ad auction. Mm. There's a lot of other factors other than bid that that um, decide where you'll rank in a text ad auction or a PLA auction, and they're actually very similar factors that will determine how you'll rank organically. So oftentimes the work that you do in one area will have benefits in another. Mm, good point. Good point. There were some leaked in the SEO world. There, there was, um, there was some leaked quality guidelines, um, mm-hmm. uh, Google released and you know, very similar to quality score in, in AdWords. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Another question I've, I've, you know, I really want to ask, um, it's been argument on, on online Twitter and all kind of stuff. <laughs> it's in regards to some brands never, never bid for their brand name and um could you sort of delve into the pros and cons of brand name bidding uh, yeah in scenarios where you should bid for your name and scenarios where it's just not worth it yeah one of the most one of the most common objections that we get is that you know retailers think well i'm getting that traffic if i'm ranking well organically you know for my branded search i'm going to be in the first organic ranking why do i need to pay for that traffic one of the most common, you know, or that's one of the most common, I guess, objections to it. Mm. One of the most beneficial times to do that is when other retailers are bidding on your brand name. And even if you do a search, you know, and you don't see another retailer bidding on it, Google will, will constantly be experimenting with how the SERP shows up. And so mm. continue to do searches for your brand name and see if other other retailers, other agencies, other anybody are popping up there. Sometimes Google will throw in a text ad that's only vaguely related because they want to have something to put there. Mm. Um, but anytime there's any sort of paid traffic for your branded searches, you want to make sure that you're showing up there. 
if no one else is bidding on those terms or Google isn't displaying any text ads, uh, the benefit can be uh, quite a bit smaller. Mm. I would still say that there can be some benefit. And the reason is that oftentimes in the organic SERP, when someone does a search for your branded name, your link will be first, which is great, but oftentimes links two, three, four might not belong to you, especially if you're selling your product on eBay or Amazon or, or um, another type of marketplace like that. Mm. Those Amazon links, those eBay links will be showing up in the organic SERPs and you're paying for that traffic one way or another because if you get the sale there, you're paying the commission. Mm. Uh, and so oftentimes there can be a benefit to pushing those other listings that aren't linking directly back to your site farther down on the SERP so that you can own more real estate um, own more real estate at the top of the Google search page. Absolutely. Uh, was, was there a, a point in time, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you could um, sort of trademark your, your name or your brand or has Google sort of um, stopped that from, from happening? So, so I, I recall that you could, as a brand, say, okay, sales says, um, I could say, mm-hmm. you know, um, I could sort of trademark that name and then if another sort of competitor tried to bid for that name, they'd, something be flagged in, on their AdWords and they, you know, they'd be like, this is a trademark term. Yeah. So the interesting thing is Google will, if you have a trademark term, Google will allow you to file a complaint if they're using that in the ad copy, mm. but that doesn't actually prevent anyone from bidding on the term. So let's say you're Sears in that example, mm. uh, or, you know, let's say you're Macy's and you want to bid on the Sears term. You can bid on Sears term as long as you don't use Sears in your ad copy. And so right. even if, even if uh, you know you file a complaint with Google or anything like that, they're still going to allow Macy's to bid on that term, and they won't take the ad down. Google's like a casino; it always wins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. Let's let's move swiftly into um, Google Shopping. We we sometimes refer to product listing ads, so which are PLAs. So you know, yes. we'll, we'll just um, switch over sometimes the names. Okay. So. Product feeds are, are the foundation of um, of P- PLA advertising or Google Shopping advertising. Um, I just wondered what your thoughts are on um, the proper structure, standard PLA structure, best practice um, retailers and online e-tailers should adopt um, for their PLA product feeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, typically, the structure that we start out with will either be based on the category or the or the brand of the product. And what I mean by that is if you're selling, you know, winter apparel and things like that, um, you might have a number of different categories that you're selling in, jacks, jackets, pants, um, gloves, things like that. And you might have, you know, a number of different brands like the North Face or, or K2. And so you're going to want to start with one of those different available options that Google will give you. And to, both of those are default. The way that we pick which one to start with is based on what we perceive to be customer search behavior. And oftentimes you can get that search behavior within your existing you know, AdWords performance. But what I mean by that is if you have a product that is more likely to be searched by brand where the customer knows the brand name, the brand already has a lot of uh, loyal you know, customers, a lot of loyal supporters mm-hmm. um, that are going to buy whatever products come out from that brand, then you're going to want to sort your products uh, by that, and you're going to want to structure your campaign according to brand name to start. And then within that brand, you can break out, you know, different categories, different custom groupings, things like that. Whereas if you sell kind of a more commoditized, more generic item that 
doesn't necessarily need a specific brand name. And the, the example that I always give for this is uh, something like Windex. You know, it's a very familiar brand name, but there are so many other, you know, cleaners out there, window cleaners, that oftentimes it doesn't really matter which one a customer buys. You, they just want a window cleaner. And so you can categorize your products according to category. And when you structure your campaign, you can build out the category specifically for, you know, window cleaners, for example. And then within that, maybe there's certain brands that you can break out. But you want to start by how your customers are looking for a product. If they're looking for a brand, structure your campaign by brand first. If they're looking just for a general product type, start by using the categories. Okay, so I guess it still boils down to keyword research and try to understand mm -hmm. their behavior from keyword research and then deciding the strategy to, to go down. A bit, yeah, and, and you, can, you can always adjust it. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll build out a campaign according to the retailer's brands and we see that, hey, oftentimes the customer search actually involves specific categories and we can adjust the structure. Google makes it pretty easy to do that on the fly. Okay, let's talk about um, product feed size. Um, some product feeds which could have um, you know, 500 or less SKUs. Some of our listeners would have 500 or less SKUs. Others might have 500 to 1,000. Others might have 1,000 to 5,000. And others might have 5,000 or more. I, I, somebody actually came on the show, and um, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but um, I think they started out with um, fifteen or 18,000 SKUs. It's um, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it was motor parts and that's just car parts. Um, so um, let's go to less than 500. Is there any structure, any set structure you'd, you'd suggest um, in terms of um, the product feed setup for 500 or less SKUs? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, pretty much regardless of, of feed size, you know, we always, I always, my rule of thumb is to try and group products on a uh, large enough scale that I'll be able to identify trends, but still be granular enough to where I can be effective with my bidding. Um, and so what I mean by that is even if you have um, a smaller feed of just a few hundred SKUs, there's always going to be some products in the feed that really just don't have a whole lot of traction. And, you know, even if you do a really careful job of hand selecting every single SKU that you put onto your site and that you uh, list in your feed, there's going to be some that you know might be a little bit of a miss, um, and there's going to be some that don't get a whole lot of impressions or don't get a whole lot of search volume. Mm. And one of the one of the more common mistakes that we see retailers make is that they'll break every single skew out so that they can bid on every single product, which sounds good in theory, but oftentimes what ends up happening is you have a number of those products that just aren't really getting a whole lot of data. So what do you do with those? There's no statistically significant data if you're only getting a couple clicks a month on a particular item. Um, so what you want to do with those SKUs is bundle them together in, into categories or brands or custom groupings according to you know product attributes or things like that. Mm. Uh, and then leave the more popular SKUs broken out into their own you know groups where you can just bid on that one particular SKU. Mm. And so that that's kind of the rule of thumb regardless of size. For retailers with smaller catalogs, we tend to be a lot more – Aggressive building out individual SKUs just because the catalog tends to be a bit smaller. And so you don't necessarily need as many large groupings. You can still manage things on a pretty effective level by breaking out individual individual SKUs. And in those cases, oftentimes it helps to bucket SKUs by performance. Um, and you can use custom labeling to do that. So over time, you'll see, hey, these, these top 10 SKUs are really my core drivers. Mm. I'm going to pull these into their own ad group. 
break out each individual one, but this is going to be like my best sellers group. Okay. Um, and that kind of helps you keep things organized that way. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of structure, what's a recommended campaign product group structure in, in, in PLA campaigns? Um, is it a blanket structure across the board based on size of, um, of the store or um, would you structure campaigns according to, to size? Um, not necessarily size of the store. I mean, what, like I said, what you want to do is use that, use that rule of thumb. So you want to, by default, leave products in, you know, in like groups. So like groups of, you know, brand or category. Mm. Um, I mentioned, you know, performance is a good one over time to build out. Also, oftentimes we'll, we'll bucket products uh, by price as well. Partly because lower price products tend to have a poor margin, and so you can kind of use margin to group them as well. But the main rule of thumb, regardless really of size of the catalog, is you want to bucket products by like groups, you know, however that may be, so that you can identify trends and patterns in the data and see the bigger picture. You don't want to get too granular, like I said, and build out every single product, and okay. you start to you start to not be able to see the forest through the trees. Okay, uh, and so. Uh, you want to bucket them into white groups, but you will see over time that there are SKUs that are consistently getting a significant amount of clicks or a significant amount of orders that you do want to break out because you do have enough data, statistically significant data, to make a decision just on that one SKU. Okay. Um, and there's going to be a number of SKUs that are like that, so continue to break those out over time okay. um, within those buckets. Okay, okay. Um, what about descriptions, um, product descriptions? Mm-hmm. Um should you have different product descriptions for for in your PLA ads as um, compared to, to to what you have on in store? Should should it be more keyword rich? Would would Google look into the description and sort of figure out where does Google look in to determine what to feature on the SERPs um, in the headline or the description? So they so they look at both, but they're not going to be necessarily looking at your site. They're going to take all that information from the feed. And Google doesn't care if the description or the title in your feed is different than what it is on your site. You're, you have free reign to modify that as much as you want. I will say that the titles are, tend to be weighted more heavily. And so what you want to do is uh, make sure that your titles are as descriptive as possible, um, but limited to um, just the core you know, terms that a customer might be searching for. And the rule of thumb that uh, that I always use is that if a customer is reading your title, they should be able to purchase the product just by reading the title alone. Wow. And if there's not enough information in your title for them to do that, then your title is not descriptive enough. If there is enough information and maybe there's more than enough information for them to do that, then you might be able to to pull out some wasted terms in your title um, or maybe play around with the structure there. But you want to keep them concise and readable, but long enough to, or descriptive enough to where the customer can buy it. With regard to, does it need to be different than on, on your site? You know, like I said, it doesn't really matter, but if you're going to, if you're going to build a title to rank well on Google and you find that, Hey, this title structure ranks well in Google shopping, that probably means that that title structure is looked favorably upon by Google. And you should probably do that on your site too. (laughs) Um, It's, it's not going to impact PLAs, but it can maybe impact your organic rankings for terms that you care about. Um, so that would take the same approach. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Have you ever been in a situation or your team been in a situation where you've had to rewrite the titles, where the titles and the product feeds and on the websites were 
more or less crap. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then, like, no, you know, this is going to hinder, it's going to impact on, on performance, really. We, we need to rewrite every single thing here. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, um, that's probably one of the biggest parts of our of our integration process is actually, I don't want to say rewriting the titles completely, but basically pulling more information in. Um, a lot of retailers have a lot of information about their products. They just don't put it in the title per se. Um, and it kind of makes sense. You know, if you're selling apparel and let's say you're selling pants on your site, you don't necessarily need a title on your page that has 15 different keywords mm-hmm. in the title. You want something that's going to be easy to read, uh, that is concise and shows up well on, on the page when the customer gets there. And that might be customer friendly. But it's not what we call robot friendly. Um, and you also want to build titles that are easily found for a robot. And so a lot of the time what we see is uh, when retailers are crafting titles just to appear nicely on a site, sometimes they'll leave out things like the brand name or the product type. So mm-hmm. if you're selling men's pants, you might put the style of the pant. You might put that they're you know boot cut jeans. But you're not necessarily going to put that they're uh, men's Levi's uh, bootcut jeans, and you're not necessarily going to put that they're denim and that they're they're black. And so there's a number of things that you might not put into the title because they seem extraneous on your website. But those are all keywords that uh, are going to be really important when you're submitting a feed to uh, to Google, and you want to rank for those terms. Mm, that makes a lot of a, a lot 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 of sense. Are there any character restrictions in in the title? In terms of um, for for PLA um, adverts, or could you is it free reign to to put in anything? You can put in anything as as long as it's not offensive. <laughs> um, so you know, use your common sense. But yeah, no, you can you can put in pretty much anything. Really, the only restriction that Google places is that it has to be 150 characters or less. Okay, 150. Um, okay, 150. Yeah, and they won't they won't display every character. So don't get discouraged if you write a 150 character title and it's great and they only display the first 70. That's more of just a restriction on the amount of space that they have. Mm. But every term that you put into the title, as long as it's within that limit, will be indexed for search. Okay. Um, so it'll count towards your rankings. Okay. Um, what about bidding strategies in, in, in Google Shopping? Um, what would you recommend? The basically follow the follow the data, follow your performance data. Um, also, don't don't copy bids over from your text ad campaigns. <laughs> we see a lot of retailers do that, and the average CPCs that you pay on Google Shopping, and I guess the amount that you need to bid, oftentimes is is lower than the amount that you might need to bid to get a first position ranking for a text ad. So don't feel like you have to copy your bids over completely, but Follow the data and don't get – try not to get too emotionally tied to your products. Another common mistake that we see retailers make is that you'll have a product that you want to sell and you'll have a product that is actually selling. And sometimes those will be different products. Um, just because you want a product to sell well on Google Shopping doesn't mean that it will and that it will be profitable. So try and take the emotion out of it. If Even if a particular product is a top seller on your site – it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be the best product on Google Shopping because the reason that it's a top seller on your site might be that it gets a ton of visitors. And even though it has a lower conversion rate, it gets so many visitors because it's such an in-demand product that um, you get sales to it. Mm. But what that can mean on Google Shopping is that you have to spend a lot of money to get that traffic mm. um, because it's a competitive search and so many people will be clicking on it. So 
Um, don't get too tied up in thinking that top sellers on your site are what should be top sellers on Google Shopping and don't get emotionally tied to the products that you want to sell. Really use data specific to Google Shopping to inform your bids and don't use anything else. I guess it, it helps in the long tail. Too. Are you seeing a lot of success from, from the long tail um, oh, yeah. in, from product listing ads? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the long tail searches are always going to be um, are always going to be higher quality, and and what we mean by that is just that there's more descriptors in the search. So um, a short tail search might be something for some, you know, like jeans. Just going back to that example, where a long tail search might be men's black Levi's five hundred one jeans. That customer knows exactly what they want, and usually it's pretty much always in every situation the customer that's doing the long tail search has more retail intent. They know exactly what they want. They're ready to buy. All you got to do is, is get in front of them, which it's a lot easier said than done. But the tough part on Google shopping is that you don't have the ability to bid on keywords. So mm-hmm. I can't go to Google and say, Hey, I want to show up for men's boot for men's 501 Levi's jeans, but I don't want to show up for just jeans. Um, Google will determine when and where to, to show you. You can't really dictate that. Um, but you can set your bids to a point where you'll be relevant for the more specific searches, um, but maybe less competitive for the general ones. And usually the general ones, like jeans, tend to require um, higher bid levels. And so um, keeping your bids low can kind of ensure that you're only showing up for the more qualified searches. Mm. As you see performance come in, you can start to say, hey, well, this product is still doing well with the low bid level. Let me bump it up to see if I can move it up the rankings uh, for the more general searches and we'll see if it still converts well. Mm-hmm. So you, you still get a good bank for your buck exactly. by bidding low. So it, makes, it makes sense. It's a no-brainer. Absolutely yeah. no-brainer. Okay, let's talk about custom labels. You, you mentioned it. Um, you mentioned them earlier on. Um, how, how can they be used to, to effectively manage um, you know, um, campaigns? Yeah, custom labels are great. Um, and Google gives you five custom labels, my advice is always to use all of them or fill up all of them in your feed, even if you're not going to use them in your structure, because you can also run reports on them, even if you're not bidding on a custom label. But the way that we typically use them is to group products by um, different attributes. So like color, for example, you know, maybe my black shoes always sell better than my brown shoes. Well, Google doesn't let you, that's not a customer, that's not a default option to break out a campaign by color. Mm. But if you add a custom label and throw the color in there, all of a sudden you can you can do that. Another way too is by margin or by performance. So if you have, let's say, 20% of your inventory you have less than a 10% margin on, you might want to add a custom label for that so that you know that any product that falls in that group, I can't be too aggressive with my bid on because you, you have a really poor margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas products with higher margin, you can group together and get more aggressive with your bids. I will say the one caveat there is, again, don't get – don't get too emotionally tied to the products that you want to sell versus the products that are selling. Mm-hmm. If a product is below your margin and it's selling well um, or you're making money on it, then increase the bid. Even if it's a low margin item, you can still capture that volume. And as long as you're making money, then um, you're going to be in the black. So don't get too emotionally tied to the high margin, high margin skews. <laughs> mm, they could be lost leaders. Okay. Okay. Third party management tools. Um, which would you recommend um, for, for, for AdWords? Um, yeah, there's, there's there are a lot out there, and you know you can take my opinion with a grain of salt because we built our own. <laughs> um, 
but uh, you know, we we before we it before we invested pretty heavily into building our own tool. I mean, it's a really labor intensive project, so we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't really want to do it. Um, but there's a lot of tools out there that will automate bid management, that will automate structure, um, and our results were pretty hit or miss. Um, what what I what I tend to see is that people that people can rely too heavily on an automated tool or on any tool really um, to manage Google Shopping, and you want to you want to account for what can robots do versus what can robots not do. Um, you know, once you understand your campaign and how it's performing, um, a robot is great for taking over your regular bid adjustments and implementing that strategy. What it's not going to be good at is understanding when to change that strategy Mm. or when to change your structure. And with any automated tool that you're going to be using, and I tell our account managers this, this as well, when they're learning how to use our own in-house tools is that there's no, there's no replacement for human intelligence. So you know, don't think that you can set up an automated tool and it's just going to work. You're going to have to figure out what the right strategy is and right, the right structure is. Mm. And then the tool can take over with the regular day-to-day maintenance of that strategy. Mm. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. You look at the market, you look at, you know, the, what kind of demand and supply is going on on the, on the front end. Um, look at competition, basically. And, um, you know, you, you use that to, to intuitively, you know, make decisions and, you know, form a strategy which could be applied to to the tool. Exactly. Right. Okay. Let's talk about mistakes. You know, you, you've taken over loads of accounts, um, some mm-hmm. perhaps from retailers who thought they could do it by themselves or um, from agencies who really messed up their accounts. What are the biggest PLA mistakes you've, you've seen um, in, in the world of PLA? Yeah, I'd say I'd say one of the biggest mistakes is not cutting out those lost leaders that you mentioned earlier. And, and mm. sometimes that can be a result of retailers getting too emotionally tied to a product. Sometimes it's just a result of neglect, um, and we take over accounts from uh, a lot of retailers and a lot of other agencies that sometimes those things, those those individual items, slip through the cracks. And it's easy to see uh, how your existing structure is doing. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have campaigns broken out on the category level. It's easy to see how all the categories are doing because that's how your campaign's broken out. But what's more difficult to see is um, how each how each subset of products within that category is doing, what the individual items within that category are doing and what the loss leaders are and how to remove those, remove those from, you know, your, your uh, cost centers, but still keep them active on Google shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you can, that you can do that is by using those performance based, you know, custom labels that, that we discussed earlier. So if you go into your campaign and you see, um, Hey, there's 15 SKUs here that are spending hundreds of dollars a week for me that, aren't getting any sales, pull those out into their own label or just break them out into their own group and lower the bids on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to see that by uh, running reports, what we call dimensions tabs reports. So if you are in your shopping campaign, you go to the dimensions tab, you can run reports on item ID and, and identify those. And that's, I'd say, one of the most common mistakes that we always see retailers or other agencies make is that they're not pulling out those loss, loss leaders and cutting costs on them. And and they're just kind of leaving them in the existing groups. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. That's a very, very, very good point there. Um, in terms of um, splitting and cutting and slicing your your campaign and uh, making it logical with the aid of um, of of custom labels, as you alluded to earlier, they're so powerful. Mm-hmm. They're so so powerful. Absolutely. Okay. Speaking of um, new features in PLA, you know, you, you started off saying that um, they, they come in every, you know, um, they, they release something new every um, every month. Yeah. Um, what 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 are your favorite new PLA features? You're you know you're you're seeing now, and um, you'd recommend our listeners to to actually um, tap into as as um, to, to help help their campaigns. Yeah, if you had asked me this question two weeks ago, I probably would have had a different answer actually, but. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you my two, the, the way that I would have answered a couple weeks ago would be remarketing West for search ads, um, or ROSA for short. That's still one of my favorites. I, we, we are putting all of our clients into that program and I highly recommend that, that all of your listeners do that as well. It's not a default option. You're going to have to call up AdWords support wow. and ask them to enable it for you. Okay. But it's, uh, it basically, it's a remarketing um, tool. And so you're also going to have to install the Google dynamic remarketing tag. So there is a little bit of upfront work to get into the program. Mm. But once you do, it allows you to increase your bids on customers that have already been to your site. So if you're already familiar with what remarketing is, it's basically uh, remarketing to your customers or increasing your bid on your remarketing list on google.com. So mm. on your search ads, on your shopping ads, anything, anything, any ad that's going to show up on Google, it allows uh, it allows you to increase your bids for those customers. It's pretty um, clever, very clever. It's usually not you know a huge volume driver, but as you can imagine, versions. Wow. Yeah, they're always going to convert better. The other one, which is just starting to roll out, which actually isn't available yet to everybody, so you might have to be a little bit patient. But um, Google's going to roll out shopping ads to YouTube essentially through their YouTube cards program. I heard that. Yes. That's uh, from what we've seen. It's still in beta, which means it's whitelisted. So you have to have a Google rep to get into it. But I would encourage all your listeners to, to keep an eye out for when that rolls out, because that's going to be another situation where the first people that can get into that market are going to have a little bit of a leg up on everyone else. So mm. pay attention for when that rolls out to everybody. Have you tried it? Do you guys have access to it or yeah, we do. It can be. It's uh, we're we're still starting to figure it out, um, and I think Google's still figuring out when and where to display those ads. But um, the conversion rates are are decent, and it uh, you know decent compared to compared to shopping. So they're still they're still pretty good. Um, volumes pretty low, but it's uh, it's definitely an exciting program. I'm, I'm excited to see you know. Um, how it rolls so, out. So, so just to put it into context, I'm I'm watching a I'm, I'm a lady. I'm watching. A, well, I'm not a lady, but um, just for the <laughs> sake of for, for the sake of argument. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm watching a makeup video, and then it, it would display cosmetics on the top right or something, or on the side. How how would it work? So it'll uh, have a basically a, a bar or a window of ads on the bottom of the video. I've actually seen ah. in some of the examples that Google puts out them them be on the right. Um, I've never seen those in the wild like that, but um, I think that they can show up either on the right or on the bottom. Um, and they'll have a number of shopping ads just show up within within the videos. And so uh, the customer, if it's a related video, let's say you're watching a video about how to apply makeup, you know, Google might put ads for different, you know, makeup products 
within that video and you have the option to scroll through and click on a couple and um, it works very similar to um, kind of like a remarketing ad um, if you want to think of that, you know, that type of display. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. What are your thoughts on this Google Buy button? Apparently, it's going to be a mobile only and it's only going mm-hmm. to be on Google Shopping um, ads, what we've been talking about over the last um, 30 minutes. So yeah. um, what are your thoughts on it? Is it going to be a, is it going to be a winner in retail? I I think so um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, Google is has taken these steps. They, they kind of deny it, but they take these steps every, every quarter. It seems like to get a little bit closer to having their own marketplace that might end up competing with Amazon. Mm. And this seems, excuse me, this seems to solidify um, that a little bit more. But one of the biggest challenges with mobile is ease of checkout. And that, you know, like we touched on earlier, one of the reasons why mobile conversion rates are usually always going to be poorer than desktop conversion rates. It's just that it's harder to check out. It's harder to input your credit card number and and do all that. And that's part of the reason why, you know, apps like the Amazon app or the eBay and PayPal app are so popular is that you don't have to do any of that. Mm. You can just one click checkout on Amazon. I do it all the time. And all of a sudden you don't, you know, that's it. You just hit the button and it's bought and you don't have to enter anything. And so that's this Google buy button is Google's kind of answer to that problem. And they're starting to court uh, you know, it seems like apparel retailers that like Macy's that have pulled off of Amazon in the past. And so, you know, they're, I think they're trying to make a push to make that process easier, but also make it easier for retailers that don't already have a feature like that through another marketplace like Amazon. But do you think it's going to impact on, um, on, on the market share, um, of eBay and Amazon? Potentially. I mean, it, it, I think it depends on how they roll it out. And also, you know, with with PayPal separating itself from eBay, there is potential for Google to, you know, start up a relationship there. And, you know, I think the more that Google pushes towards this marketplace, the more that they'll potentially be able to compete with other marketplaces. But the one advantage that Amazon is always going to have is that they're willing to take a loss when investing in logistics, which <laughs> is not something most companies are willing to do. And so um, it's going to be very difficult. Um, and I think we're seeing this for Google, for Walmart as they enter the space. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to replicate that two-day free shipping guarantee across the country. As it is such a logistical nightmare and, and cost drain. So, you know, I think it'll I think it'll impact the, the demand a bit maybe for – um, some of Amazon's products. But like I said, you know, it, Google's initial retailers that they're courting are actually for retailers that aren't on Amazon. And so there, there actually isn't initially um, going to be a whole lot of competition there with their, with their market. And so um, I am still scratching, yeah, I'm still scratching my head as to um, how Google is, is going to communicate things like shipping. You know, customer service, that wholesale thing, it's, it's, it's a really smooth system um, from a mobile standpoint to, to make a transaction. But um, I, I don't really see that after sale support, you know, in yeah, that that's, system. That's why they're going to have to be really, really selective. And also, you know, they, they have rolled out this program and it's been out for a year or two now, the Google Trusted Store program, which mm. allows them to, I don't want to say guarantee, but it gives them insight into which retailers mm. are you know, fulfilling their orders on time and things like that. And so 
I could very easily see them early on only allowing Google trusted stores to use it because they don't want to put themselves in a position where they they say an order is going to be delivered in two days and 80% of the time it is and 20% of the time it isn't. That's a, mm. that's a, bad, that's a bad look for Google. And exactly. so um, I think they're going to limit it to just the retailers that they trust and that are in mm-hmm. that trusted source program. As you alluded to, every quarter they, you know, they, they've sort of rolled out features that's, you know, brought them closer and closer to this marketplace mm. um, set up there they're about to get into. It's lovely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm going to just take us back a little bit. I forgot to ask one question in, in PLA, mm-hmm. which has got to do with the importance of images of like photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, how important are they? And have you sort of, has, has a client ever come, come back to, well, has a client come to you with, with um, a new client come to you with, um, with their product feed and you, you're like, we have to change this photographs. What kind of photographs actually work on Google, um, on, on Google for, for, for paid, for, for PLA ads? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the really the higher res, the better. And you know, when it comes to Google's background, they, they there's um, or the background of the images. There's a lot of retailers that will try and put you know borders around the images to make them stand out or mm. um, try and get watermarks in there. And they might you know f- slide under Google's radar, and it's a popular thing to test. Um, I actually haven't really seen that lead to any incremental boost. Um, or any you know statistically significant change in performance, and so I would say that you know trying to mess with Google's guidelines around images probably isn't worth it, considering it'll get your account suspended eventually. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean the higher res, the better, and you always want to have a, a an image that's you know big enough to to where you can zoom in. Google probably isn't going to give you that functionality; they usually don't. But we've started to see more and more categories where. They're focusing on bigger images. They're focusing on higher quality images. And those uh, requirements increase pretty much every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so meeting the bare minimum for your image requirements this year in terms of size and clarity, um, then you're probably going to be below their requirements in six months. Um, and so the higher res images that you can get now, the better. Um, and those will be those will be useful for you across channels on Google, on Amazon, pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for writing that. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.